want to pay attention because next time we hold Connecting You, if you haven't uh, gone through it, if you're new, if you're not a member of the church, you're going to want to do that because last week somebody that went through it commented, they said, man, if I would have known it was that good, I would have invited people. And so it's good enough to invite people. So you want to do that next time, but uh, we're glad that you're here today. Um, over the past several weeks, we've been talking a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, that the role that he plays in our lives. And this morning, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk uh, not so much about his role, but I want to talk about our role, the, the role or the responsibility that we have in experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we, we need to remember that uh, what God has invited us into is a relationship with him. And just like every other relationship we have, uh, there's not any relationship that works very well when it's only one-sided. And, and uh, God's desire is to have a relationship with us, which is the reason why he gave us a free will. He wanted us to choose to be in relationship with him. And so we get this choice. We get to choose whether to, to love him and accept the love that he has for us, or we can choose to reject the love that he has for us. We, we get to choose. God's not going to force himself on anybody. And this is true when it comes to salvation, but it's also true when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not only in salvation do we get to choose whether we're going to receive the gift of forgiveness and we get to choose whether we're going to walk in relationship with God or not, but also this is true when it comes to experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually. We get to choose. There's this partnership that we've been invited into uh, where the Holy Spirit has promised to do all of the things that we've talked about over the past several weeks where, you know, he wants to sanctify us, he wants to make us holy, he wants to, to speak to us and empower us, he wants to draw us closer to Jesus, he wants to make us more like Jesus, he wants to uh, reveal truth and wisdom to us, he wants to, he wants to uh, teach us how to pray, he wants to pray for us, all of those things that we've talked about, he wants to do all of that. But all of that is contingent upon our willingness to partner with him and what he wants to do in our lives. And it really is true. You've heard me say this before, but you can experience as much or as little of God in your life as you want to. It's giving you the choice. You can choose to experience as much or as little of God in your life as you want to, based on how you respond to him and his invitation to you. And, and so this morning, what I want to do is I want to just kind of wrestle a little bit with this question of what can we do on our end, individually, personally, to position ourselves and open our lives up to a greater measure of the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. What can we do? In fact, there are four things that I want to give you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we're going to look at what by now should be a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've referred to it a number of times over the past several weeks. But before we jump in, just as a reminder, uh, the time frame here, where we're at, is we're between the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. That's when this is taking place in Acts chapter 1. And so Jesus has been in crucified. He, um, three days later, of course, he rose from the dead. 
Uh, then over a period of 40 days, he appeared to a number of his disciples on different occasions. In fact, over 500 people encountered the resurrected Jesus. And so now we're at a point he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And Jesus is sharing a meal with his disciples. And he gives them this instruction. He says, I want you to go back into Jerusalem and I want you to wait there for the gift that my Father has promised to you. Of course, we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're gonna, that's where we're at. We're going to jump in, in in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So Jesus says this. I want you to go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and then they asked him this question. Lord, at this time, in other words, when we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, then are you finally going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, pause right here for just a moment. This is really important. In their minds, they've heard over and over and over again, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's talked about this kingdom that he's come to establish, the kingdom, the kingdom. He's talked all about the kingdom. And Jesus is talking about one thing, and they're hearing another thing. Because in their minds, what they're hearing, what they're thinking is, okay, so what Jesus is going to do, he's the Messiah, he's going to overthrow Rome, he's going to establish his, this physical kingdom in Jerusalem, and we're going to get to rule and reign with him. That's what's going through their minds. And so they ask this question, so the Holy Spirit's going to come, is it finally going to happen? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. This is a very crucial verse, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after he said this, it says he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their, him, him from their sight. And so verse 10, they're looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then, Luke tells us, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Of course, we know that it's just a few verses later, as they're all gathered together, the day of Pentecost arrives. We talked about that last week, but the day of Pentecost comes, and this promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. They're empowered, and as a result, the, the church explodes. Okay, so the question, again, that I just want to kind of wrestle with a little bit is, what are the things that they did, in other words, what role did they play that positioned them to experience this outpouring of the Holy Spirit? 
The first one, and some of you may want to write these down if you're a note taker, but the first one is this. The first thing they did was they obeyed. They just, they just simply obeyed. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but if Jesus wanted to, here in, in, in Acts chapter 1, if Jesus wanted to, he could have totally skipped over Acts chapter 2. I mean, if he wanted to, in Acts chapter 1, as all of his disciples are gathered around him, he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven. They're there on the Mount of Olives. Jesus could have said, okay, guys, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Boom, receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, he could have done that. And all of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Right then and there, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. He could have done it that way, but he didn't. Instead, he tells them, I want you to go, and I want you to wait. Why? Why, why, did, why did Jesus do that? Well, we, we talked about this last week, but we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit the same way that we receive the gift of salvation. It is through faith that we're saved, and it's by faith that we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so hear me on this. Genuine faith is always expressed through obedience. Faith is always expressed through obedience, right? Right? Y'all with me this morning? All right. I need a little help this morning, okay? Esther's back, so we're good to go. Some of you might want to write this down. Obedience is an outward expression of an inner faith. That's really what obedience is. It's simply our outward expression of an inner faith. It's like what James talks about in James chapter 2. He says that faith without works is a dead faith. In other words, it's not real faith if there's not some expression, outward expression of that faith. True faith always produces some sort of action on our part. And so the first step in setting ourselves up to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives personally is to obey whatever it is that the Holy Spirit impresses upon our heart to do, to say, to go, to not say, whatever. Well, whatever it is the Holy Spirit tells us to do, we obey and we do it. In fact, I've said this before, but one of the quickest ways to quench the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to disobey. It's one of the quickest ways. It is to disobey. Whenever the Holy Spirit says, move or do this or say this or go there, and we refuse to obey, that quenches or hinders the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And, and so not only is, is obedience an expression of faith, but I want you to get this. According to Jesus, it's one of the primary ways that we express our love to him. In fact, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says it point blank. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Over and over again. In fact, it's really interesting. If you read through John 14, five times in chapter 14, Jesus himself links this idea of loving God to obeying God. In, in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. 
In verse 21, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. In verse 23, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. In verse 24, he says, if you don't love me, you won't obey me. In verse 31, he says, I love the Father, so I obey the Father. There's this link between obedience and love. I mean, it couldn't be more clear. Jesus defines loving God which is the first and the greatest commandment, right? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the most important thing that you can do. And Jesus defines loving God as obeying God. Which this is the first step. If you're not going to obey God, you're not going to receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the first step in experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, it always begins with obedience. Number two, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I've already kind of touched on it, but number two is they, they believed. They obeyed because they believed. In other words, they had faith, right? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these, these guys, these followers of Jesus, they just believed that if they did what Jesus said, then they would receive what Jesus promised. Some of you might want to write this down. What we receive from God is directly related to what we believe about God. But what we receive from God is directly related to what we believe about God. And so the question always is, do we really believe God? Do, do we believe him enough to obey him? Do we believe him enough to act upon it? Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And so the question is, do we really believe that if God says it, he'll actually do it. Do we believe that? Yeah, we, we know the right answer is yeah. We, we know that's the right answer, and so we're all yeah, but, but, but what about when we believe it and it hasn't happened yet? I mean, imagine if you were in their shoes. I want you to just imagine this. I mean, here you are. You, you've given three years of your life to Jesus. And when I say you, you, you've given, I, I mean given everything. You've left everything. Home, family, friends, jobs, security, everything to follow Jesus. And, and in your mind, you know, as you, as you leave to follow Jesus, you believe that he's the Messiah. And so in your mind, you have this vision of what following him is going to look like. You, you, you've seen him, you know, do all these miraculous things, heal blind people and lame people and deaf people and people with leprosy and cast out demons. You, you've, you've seen him even demonstrate power over sickness and death. And in your mind, you think, you know, we're, we're marching into Jerusalem, man. We're on this mission. We're in the Lord's army. You know, they might be singing that song. But you're marching into Jerusalem, and, man, we get there, and, and Jesus, he's going to give the Romans what's what, and he's going to tell them what's up, and he's going to set up his, his kingdom. He's going to establish his place right here, and, and we're going to be right there with him, ruling and reigning. Man, it's going to be awesome. Except that's not what happens. Instead, this one who you've given your life for, I mean, given everything up for, is murdered, hung on a cross. Now, he does come back to life, which is awesome, 
Man, I'm preaching way better than you guys are listening. <laughs> See, that's why we're Jesus does come back to life, which is it's awesome, right? Yeah. All right, just want to make sure you're with me here. So he comes back to life, but instead of setting up his kingdom, you know, like you thought he would do, instead he just tells you, hey, go and wait. Just go back to Jerusalem and wait for, you know, some baptism to take place. And then he disappears into heaven. And so in faith, you do what he says, you go to Jerusalem, and you wait, and, and in my mind, I can just imagine, you know, if I was there waiting with them, I can imagine what it'd be like. Man, oh man, it's so exciting, it's going to happen. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but Jesus said something really cool is going to happen, and so we're going to wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. All day long, you wait, and nothing happens. Hmm. Maybe tomorrow. And so you can hardly sleep at night because Jesus said this amazing thing is going to happen. You're going to receive power and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in all of these places and go all around the world. And so maybe tomorrow, Jesus didn't tell us how long to wait. He just said wait. And so you can hardly sleep at night and, and, and tomorrow comes and you're waiting and, and you're there together and you're like, man, I wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, Jesus said we're going to get baptized. Remember when he was baptized? I mean, when he was baptized, the, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. And so they're like, you know, maybe we all get our own dove. So they're listening for the coo, coo, you know, of a dove. And, and when Jesus is baptized, there was this voice that came from heaven. I wonder if we're going to hear that same voice, you know, these are my beloved sons of whom I love and am well pleased. And Jesus, when he was baptized, he got this supernatural power. And I wonder if we're going to get the same power that he got. I mean, what if we can conquer death like Jesus conquered death? In my mind, those are the conversations. You know, if you're flipping through your Bible looking for that, it didn't in there. This is my imagination. All this excitement as they wait. Day two passes. And still nothing. And then day three and Day four, and then there's five days, and, and on day six, I'm guessing that the conversation turns from, are, are, you, are you sure that we heard him right? I mean, it, it turns from, man, I can't, to, did we really hear him say what he, I mean, he, he did say to wait, right? He did say that there was going to be this outpour, that there was something that was going to happen, right? That, that's what we do. When God doesn't show up when we think he ought to show up. This is what we're prone to do when what we think ought to happen doesn't happen. And, and it was in this moment that they had a decision to make. And it's the same decision that we all have to make as well. Are we going to trust in what God said or are we going to trust in what we see at the moment? You see, I'm convinced that one of the reasons they received the promise is because they believed the promise. They, they received it because they believed it and they were willing to wait in faith until what they believed became a reality. Until what they believed matched their experience. You see, here's the deal, and I'm going to tell you something. I don't necessarily like this, but it's true. But faith is not faith until it's tested. You know that? 
It's not really faith until it's tested. And in order to receive what God has promised, it requires a testing of our faith. Okay, so, so first of all, they obeyed. Secondly, they had faith. Number three, the third thing they did, and, and this is one that honestly we don't really think about all that often or talk about in relation to experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but this is key. The third thing that they did was that they gathered together. They were together. When, we, when you look at the book of Acts, we understand that the book of Acts as a whole the book of Acts is a story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's a story about how regular, ordinary people, I mean, fishermen, tax collectors, just ordinary people, did extraordinary things as a result of being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts, it's about that. But here's what we have to understand, that Acts is also a story about a group of people, just like us, just like you and me, who out of obedience chose to come together. It's the story of the birth of what we now call the church. I don't want us to miss this very important detail, and that is that there was a corporate element to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again, I want you to think back. Let's go back to the Mount of Olives again. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up into heaven. And again, if Jesus wanted to, as he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven, Jesus could have looked at his followers and he could have said to them, he could have said, hey, okay, so I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And, and so I'm going to go and you guys just go home. I mean, just go back to where you came from, go back to your families, and, and go find a place. Get all by yourselves, get in a quiet place, and wait there alone, and you'll receive the promise. He could have said that, but, but no, instead, he gives them this very clear instruction that they were all to go together to Jerusalem, and they were to wait together. In fact, this is, this is such an important concept that Luke actually emphasizes this idea of them all being together, not once, but multiple times. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, he, he says, and they all left the Mount of Olives and they headed to Jerusalem together. In verse 13, they entered the city together and they went up into the upper room together in verse 14 they were all together with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer in acts chapter 2 verse 1 when the day of pentecost arrived they were there together you see what i'm trying to help you understand is that these two stories, these two themes found in Acts, the, the, the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the story of God's people choosing to come together, to not just do life on their own, but to attach themselves to one another and to be together, those two stories are connected to each other. They're intertwined with each other. It was because the people of God chose to be together that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was possible. And guess what? It's true. It, the, the same is true for us today. 
The, the importance of God's people gathered together in order to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a greater measure is just as true for us as it was for them. In fact, I, I, want you to, I just want you to think about this. I, I wonder what would happen if, if you and I approach the times that we're together with this kind of mindset, just the, the understanding of the importance of getting together. If, if like every Sunday, whenever we entered into a service like this, like every time when you showed up for Wednesday for worship and prayer, whenever you met together in your Sunday school class or your connect group, every time that we gathered together in settings like that, whenever we did those things, what if we did it with a mindset of not just creating community, which community is important, but what if we entered into those settings with the mindset that we are actually creating and providing an environment for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in a greater measure? What if we actually thought about that? I wonder what would happen if we expected that. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if every time that we entered in through the doors of this worship center and we came into this place, we did so with with that level of expectation that, man, the Holy Spirit is going to meet us here. We're going to encounter him in a deeper level. We get to come together, and we get to gather together, and we get to worship. We, we, what would happen if we just couldn't wait to rush into this place? Because we wanted, to, we, we wanted to experience, we expected to experience here in this place. What, what was going to happen in this place was more important than the donut holes. More important than the coffee. More important than catching up with so-and-so. More important than anything else. So important that we wanted to be as close to it as possible. All of a sudden, all these seats up here in the front would be full. There's this strange phenomenon. This, this last week, um, Abby Alger called me and said, hey, uh, she knew that I liked the, the musical Hamilton. Not a big musical person, but I like that one because y'all know I'm a rapper, right? So, <laughs> hidden talent. But I, uh, so she called and she said, hey, ticket, group tickets have gone on sale. And so we got online and looked, and there's a strange phenomenon where the seats up front are like more expensive than the seats in the back. And yet the expensive seats up front are the ones that everybody purchases first and wants to be up front. Weird phenomenon that happens in other places outside of the church. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Here at the church, the seats up front are just as cheap as the ones in the back. They're just as cheap. And I wonder what would happen if in our hearts and in our minds we just so expected to encounter the Holy Spirit, we wanted to get as close to it, we wanted to experience it, we expected it, that we just rushed in and we couldn't wait to get in the presence of the Holy Spirit. As you believe, as your faith is, so be it unto you. Maybe we don't experience what I'm talking about is because we really don't enter with any kind of expectation to experience anything at all. I'm just wondering out loud here. But, but I, I'm wondering how it might change what we experience in these times. You see, I'm just convinced that every single time we gather together as a group of Christ pursuers and Christ followers, I'm just convinced that something extraordinary happens. Every time. The problem is 
For many of us, we just miss it when it happens. Because we're not expecting anything extraordinary to happen. As your faith is. If you seek me with your whole heart, and, and, and you'll find me. You see, half-hearted seeking will result in half-hearted encounters. And so if you've ever, amen, that was an amen. Did you see that? And so if you've ever wondered, how can I have more of the Holy Spirit flowing through my life? This is for you. What I'm sharing is for you. If you've ever wondered, you know, is there anything that I could do with my single, you know, little unit of a life that I could attach it to something bigger and greater than me that could, could it somehow facilitate a move of God that is beyond what I currently experience and dream of? If you've ever wondered that, this is for you. You see, because something extraordinary happens whenever God's people get together in humility and we hunger and thirst after him. You see, there's, there's only so much we can experience on our own. This is why the church is referred to as a body, because we really do need each other. We, we really, it's not just a saying that we say. We really are better together. In, in fact, if you look closely, leading up to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, there's nothing that these followers of Jesus actually even do on their own. Everything is done in the context of community. In other words, you don't ever hear them say, you know, I only pray on my own. Or I, only, uh, I prefer to eat on my own. Or I, I do my own thing in my own way. And, and, and why does Luke, who writes the story, why does he go to such great lengths to list all of the names of the people who were together in the upper room. I mean, he tells us, he says, you know, there's Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James and Simon and Judas, the son of James, and there's the women and Mary and Jesus' brothers. I mean, why the roll call? The, the reason he names every single one of them, I believe, is because he wants us to know that this was not just a group of random faces. It was a group of named individuals who, who chose at a certain time, at a certain place, to come together. And it was that choice, the choice of them coming together is what led to the impact of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them and in them and through them. And Luke wants it to be known. And he wants it to be recorded all throughout history who was there on that occasion, and what can happen when God's people choose to come together. The last thing that these early believers did that led to them experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way, and this is so key, is that they were together, and together they prayed. That they, one of the things that they were doing together was they, they prayed together. In fact, Luke says that they continually, so they were doing it all the time, devoted themselves, so it was important, they were committed to it, they, they continually devoted themselves to praying together. Listen, I want you to know that something extraordinary happens whenever we get together specifically for the purpose of prayer. 
Now, now I would guess that most of us in this room pray. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you pray, but I would guess that most of us pray. In fact, I would guess that many of us pray um, every day. It's a huge part of our lives. Some of us pray multiple times throughout the day. And, and I would guess that many of you, you have a, a place of prayer, a time of prayer. There's this specific time that you've scheduled and you get alone and, and you pray and it's part of the rhythm of your life. And that's important. Jesus did that. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that oftentimes it'll say that Jesus got all by himself. It says he went to lonely places. In other words, where he was all alone, just him and God. And he prayed. And so we need to do that. We need those times alone in prayer where it's just God and us. But here's the deal. It's just as important that we come together to pray as it is that we pray alone. We need to pray alone. But it's just as important that we gather together to pray. Whenever we come together, remember what we're doing is we're creating an environment for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us. And the truth is, there are certain things that can only be accomplished when we pray together that cannot happen by praying alone. In fact, real real quick, let me just share a couple with you. The first one is this. Whenever Whenever we pray together, one of the results of praying together is we become unified with the people that we're praying with. That's what happens when we share this time together in prayer. We're unified with other believers. In Acts chapter 1, 14, it says that they all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. One mind. They were unified. They were sharing the same thoughts. They they were unified together. In fact, there is this bond that happens whenever you spend time together in prayer with other people. It's one of the things that prayer does. It links us together. It unifies us. It it helps us to set aside our me-centered thoughts and pray with a larger perspective than than what just concerns me. So the first thing that praying together does is it unifies us with other believers. The the second thing that praying with other people does is it connects us to the mission of Jesus. The Apostle John writes this, he says, and this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He goes on to say, and we know that if he hears us, he will give us what we've asked for. He'll answer our prayers. Now, we've talked about this before. Of course, the caveat to this verse is that what we ask for has to be according to the will of God, which certainly we can do. We can pray according to the will of God alone. But one of the wonderful things that happens whenever we pray together is when we gather together and we pray with other people is we tend to pray less self-centered prayers and we tend to pray more mission-minded prayers. Uh, There's this shared sense of vision and purpose that as we pray together, the mission of God, it connects us with one another and with God. And so here, Jesus says to his followers, he says, I want you to wait for the promise, which you've heard me speak about. You're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. And then immediately, he says, you're going to receive power for this specific mission. Here's your mission. This is the vision. This is why I want to do this in your life. He says, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. 
Listen, I'm just convinced that one of the primary things that these followers of Jesus were praying about for the 10 days that they were waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. I'm just convinced that they were praying prayers like, God, you've given us this massive mission. And and it's so much bigger than any of us can accomplish on our own. In fact, it's, it's bigger than we could even dream of accomplishing together. I mean, for us, we're just simple fishermen, tax collectors, and just regular people. And for us to to go all around the world and share the good news of Jesus, that's just way too big of a mission for us. So we need your help. If you're really going to call us to this, you're going to have to do something to help us accomplish what you've called us to do. We really do need your power. And the more they prayed about this vision, the more they prayed about this mission, and the more they talked about it with each other, the more I'm convinced that they began to own it. Man, isn't this something that of all the people in the world, Jesus picked us. He chose us to carry his message all around the world. and What a privilege it is. And they began to own it. And the more they became connected with each other because they realized, I can't do this without you, and you can't do this without me. They had this shared vision that they knew would take all of them together to accomplish. Listen, hear hear me on this. I, I believe that it's so vital that we as a church regularly come together to pray. Pastor, you've been beating that drum for seven years. I'm gonna keep beating it until it happens. I I believe that it's so vital that we as a church regularly come together to pray. Why do I believe that? Because number one, I believe that God has given us a mission. He's given us the mission of connecting disconnected people to Jesus. And there's a whole lot of people who are disconnected from Jesus. And and they need to hear the good news. from They need to have somebody come and share that Jesus loves them. There's a plan for your life. You don't have to be stuck in this place. There's healing and deliverance and freedom that's available through Jesus Christ. Anybody believe that? He's given us this mission, mission to connect disconnected people to Jesus. And he's given us a big vision in different ways to do that. I mean, we've been talking about things like creating sober living housing. It takes money to do that. It takes people to do that. It takes vision to do that. And and we've we've had this vision about gathering together and and being in, in specific locations. And so as a move of faith, we sold this building. We don't own this building anymore. We're going to have to be moving soon. And we've, we've, we've had this, this vision and we've talked about, you know, being in a different type of an environment. Something like, you know, we tried to buy the Marcus Theaters. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, we've got this vision. And if there's ever a time for Connecting Point Church of the Nazarene to come together and pray, it's now. We need to come together and pray. I mean, we need to be of one mind. We need to be bonded together around the vision and the mission that God has given to us. And what we need more than anything else is we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need it more than we've ever needed it before. 
By, by the way, there's a great opportunity to do exactly what I'm talking about this Wednesday night. The first Wednesday of every month, there's a group of us that gather together in this place and we do what we're talking about this morning. And here's the good news. Y'all are invited. I, 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 I wonder... <laughs> I wonder what our Easter service next week would be like if a whole bunch of us just came together before God and just sought his will and began to lift up people who we knew who were disconnected to Jesus and who he might want us to invite to hear the good news that he loves them and cares for them. He gave his life for them. I wonder what our service would be like. I wonder what... what church would be like for us if a bunch of us just committed ourselves to come together and get before God and seek his will for this church. The, the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people perish. Listen, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that prayer meetings in most churches have gone by the wayside and at the same time, most churches in America are on the decline. They're perishing because they've forgotten that the, the vision of God comes from time spent together seeking the presence of God. You can't get a vision from God if you don't spend time in his presence. In fact, Jim Cimbala, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he makes this bold statement, and I'm going to be done here in just a minute. But he, he writes this. He says, pastors and churches have to get honest enough with themselves to say we are not New Testament Christians if we don't have a New Testament Christian prayer life. In fact, I'll take that a step further and say we cannot be a New Testament church without New Testament church prayer habits. They continually gathered together and devoted themselves to prayer. Listen, if we, if we really want to experience a genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we really want to see the Holy Spirit poured out into the lives of our family, in the life of our church, in our community, and in our world, then we have to be driven to prayer. We, we have to be driven to this place where we ask for it, we cry out for it, we hunger and thirst to experience the Holy Spirit in a way that we never have before. Phineas F. Brzee, who's credited as being one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene, which we're a part of, he once said that some people think that for a church to succeed, it must have an eloquent preacher. But the truth is, it is only when the people of God get together, get on their faces, and get to Jesus, that's when a church will succeed. One of the things that I believe with all my heart is that what we need more than anything, it's not new programs, it's not new ministries. What we need, we need more than anything is we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, if you read through the book of Acts, there was this initial outpouring that took place in Acts chapter 2, where the room, we talked about it last week, and there were tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit descended on them. 
But if you read through the rest of the book of Acts, what you'll see is there are other times where it'll say, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, they went and did this. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit, they were enabled to do that. And being filled with the Holy... See, what I'm trying to tell you is, is there's this ongoing infilling that we need. If we're going to empty ourselves out for other people, we got to keep getting filled, right? And what we need more than anything is we just need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced that there are some things that we can actually do on our end that will position us to experience that. If we really want it, it's going to take obedience. It's going to take a great amount of faith. We've got to believe that that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what God wants for us. It's going to take the commitment to gather together, to expect to experience them in these settings. And it's going to take a renewed commitment to prayer. You have not? Why? Because you ask not. So we need to ask, man. We just need to ask. In fact, Father, this morning as we kind of just wrap up this time together, I am just going to ask generally and I pray that there would be those who are in this place, maybe those who are joining us online, that in their own hearts that they would take and they would be asking for themselves for a fresh outpouring of your Spirit to come upon us. I need it. There are times where I just feel weary and dry. We need a fresh touch from you. We need to be filled with you, empowered by you, enabled by your Spirit. And so my prayer for myself, and I pray the same thing over your people today, is that you would give us the strength to obey you. Not just some of the time, not just when it's convenient or easy, but every time you speak. When you say move, we move. When you say go, we say, we say yes, we'll go. When you say speak, we say yes, we'll speak. When you say keep your mouth shut, we'll keep our mouths shut. I pray that you would help us to have an increased measure of faith. Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you help us in the times of testing while we're waiting, where we, we've held on to a promise that you've given to us and we're waiting for the fulfillment of that promise that we would trust more in what you said than what we see. And we would believe it, we would claim it, we would hold on to it, we wouldn't let go of it simply because we trust you. And God, I'm praying that you would unite us on a deeper level, that you would you would help us to, to, to be uh, united of one mind, one heart, one mission, one vision that comes not from me but comes from you. Would you help us to be committed and to make it a priority to gather together and to seek your face together? 
And as we do, I pray that we would be even bonded more to each other and to your mission. Then, Lord, just, just help us to continue to seek you, just continue to pray, and to trust that what you did for them, you'll do for us, that what was available for them is available for us, that as we open ourselves up to you, you will pour your spirit out upon us, a fresh outpouring, a fresh infilling, and that you would equip us to be your witnesses to a world who desperately needs to know that you care and you're there and you love and you heal and you restore. And so, Lord, that's, that's my prayer today. I pray even this week, as we go throughout our week, we're looking forward to next Sunday is Easter and we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the conquering of death, the victory, the forgiveness of sins that we've received. And I'm just praying that you would bring people across our paths that we could invite to one of the services. Give us the boldness to just issue an invitation. Say, hey, come, love to have you come join me. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do next week. I pray that we would rush in with a spirit of anticipation, just expecting to encounter you in a fresh new way. Go with us today. Help us to go with you and to follow you in your leading. And we're going to pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.